0: As I said last week, we looked at Yom Teruah, that we are coming upon the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets is on the first day of the tenth month. And ten days later, after these ten days of awe, this this period of repentance, you get to the Day of Atonement. Now, as we mentioned before, oftentimes they will start thirty days before the first day, before trumpets, and begin getting into a mindset of repentance. And I'll explain why they do that coming up. But uh, it would equal then a total of 40 days of repentance, of 40 days of preparing yourself for the most solemn day of the year, the feast, uh, well, not feast, the day of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is a Moedim, but it is not a feast day. A Moedim is an appointed time, just like Yom Teruah was an appointed time. And so we talked about that last week, but an appointed time means it was set aside for a certain reason, and God has set this day aside for a reason. Many Christians today will tell you that this is just a Jewish thing, and that it was all done at the cross. I'm going to show you that nothing could be further from the truth on both of those ends. First of all, where we read about this day of Yom Kippur is in Leviticus 16 and Leviticus 23. Here in chapter 16 it says, This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, remember the first day was Yom Teruah, now we're on Yom Kippur, you shall afflict your souls. Now, the afflicting of the souls is an interesting word here. it I'll get to it in a moment, but we really don't know for sure what it means. It's been pretty much understood to fast. But I think it's much deeper than that. And so on this day, you're going to see that People are going to be fasting, afflicting the soul. We'll we'll talk a little bit more about that here in a moment. But it says, do no work at all. That doesn't sound like afflicting the soul much, but it is a day of rest as well. A solemn day of rest. And so you are to do no work. Now, well, I'll get to that later too. It says, here this is important, though, whether a native of your own country or a stranger who dwells among you. So who is this for? Just the Jews? No. Anybody who even would dwell among the Jews. Now, as we have talked about in previous lessons, we, in a sense, we are spiritual Jews. We have been grafted in to the Jewish covenant. We have joined them. They aren't supposed to be the ones joining us. We're supposed to be joining them. We are the sojourners. We are the foreigners. We are the aliens. We are the lost tribes, possibly in many cases. Not always. But nonetheless, it says that this is for you. For on that day, the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Leviticus 23 continues and kind of says the same type of thing. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of this seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you. You shall afflict your souls. Offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, and you shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. For any person who is not afflicted in soul on that same day shall be cut off from his people. Does that sound kind of serious? Yeah. Now, I am not saying that there are Christians out there who do not understand that these festivals still are for God's people, whether they be Jew or Gentile, and because they don't recognize it, that they are to be cut off and are not saved. It's not what this is saying. It's not what I am saying. But I am saying that this is how important it was. Because, as you're going to see, this is about... Jesus being that ultimate sacrifice. And if you do not recognize, I think in a very solemn and reality, uh, realistic way of what Jesus has done for you, if Jesus is just this flippant thing, oh, hey, uh, thanks, Jesus, and now I go live my life, you may be cut off from God's people. Because this is about recognizing Yeshua. And if you don't, you will be cut off, period. That is why this is so serious is because this is to point us to him. But not just his first coming. His second coming. Remember, these fall festivals are about his second coming, it seems. We'll get more on that later. It goes on, any person who does any work on that same day, that person, I will destroy from among his people. You shall do no manner of work it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwellings. It shall be to you a Sabbath of solemn rest, and you shall afflict your souls. When? On the ninth day of the month, at evening, from evening to evening. In other words, until the evening of the tenth day of the month. <coughs> you shall separate, or celebrate, your Sabbath. So it's kind of interesting, an affliction, but yet, a celebration of the sabbath as well so, is the, so at the beginning of that it talks about on the tenth day so basically the sabbath is the essential day evening evening before the day of atonement It's we have to remember that a Jewish day I see scripturally it begins in the evening therefore when it's saying during the day it's the tenth the tenth day of the month but you're going to be basically, yep, you start on the evening of the ninth, which then it becomes the day of the 10th till evening. And so with our thinking, it's a little bit harder to understand. But even in creation, we see, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. That the day starts in the evening. And so it kind of gets a little confusing at times. But it's the same, same kind of thing, yep. So, to summarize what it's saying, in essence, it's this. You're not to do any work. It is a Sabbath of rest. It's to be done forever, not just until Jesus comes. It is to be wherever you are. It is to be for Jews and Gentiles, those foreigners that are among them, and we are to afflict your souls for one full day. Now... Because of this word affliction, as I said, it's a kind of a unique word. If you would translate this, the closest it seems to be able to uh, be is literally to deprive your throat. But that's why they have said, well, fasting then, we're just not going to eat. But it goes much beyond that. It goes to even the air we breathe in the sense that you're supposed to take your life, the life breath, and you're supposed to make it solemn. You're not supposed to be out there, you know, like on a regular Sabbath, you can do no work, but you can do a lot more. This is more solemn. You are supposed to be afflicting yourself. You're supposed to be not necessarily doing the Martin Luther thing where you get down on the ground and start whipping yourself or whatever. What I'm saying is that you are supposed to not be living this life for you. You're supposed to be self-examining yourself and saying, where do I get truth from? Am I really following the Lord or am I building my kingdom here on this earth? Am I, you know, uh, loving my spouse because loving God is to love our neighbor, to love our spouse? Or am I just so self-concerned and self-conceited and self, uh, you know, just absorbed that I'm living for me? I'm going to die to self and live for Christ. So, anyway, Isaiah 58, verse 10. I like this verse because it says If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as the noonday. If you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, In other words, the opposite of affliction is to satisfy. In some senses, you might be able to say that here. So, our body, the flesh, most often is against what is good for the spirit and for your life, for your soul. The word soul is the same word as life. Uh, the Hebrew, it's nephesh. And so when in Scripture, in Genesis, we see those things that had the lifeblood in it. It has nepheshkia, it's called. And even in Romans, it says that the flesh, those who live by the flesh, uh, NIV would call it the sinful nature. Those who live in the sinful nature cannot please God. They do not submit to God's law, nor can they do so. Uh, Even Daniel Joseph today on his message was talking about that. I really recommend going and listening to that message. Uh, A great one for those who are struggling with this idea that the law has been done away with. But one of the things he says in that is, the flesh, if you're living in the flesh... You can't submit to God's law. Now, I have to ask then, are we supposed to submit to God's law? Well, there's two different camps. One would say yes and one would say no. The camp that says no, you're not supposed to submit to God's law, ought to say, well, then let's just live in the flesh. Because if those who live according to the sinful nature or according to the flesh cannot submit to God's law. The camp that says, yes, we are to submit, now it kind of makes sense because we're not to submit because of gaining righteousness, but because we have righteousness through Jesus Christ. He says, therefore, live according to the Spirit. And this is the difference between these two camps, is being able to submit to the law of God by the Spirit of God or not being able to submit to the law of God because you live in the flesh. I thought it was interesting. The rest of that passage says, and those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So the opposite of that would be if you are in the spirit, you do please God because you do submit to the Yeah, if you are in the spirit, you do please God. If you're in the flesh, you cannot please God because you cannot submit to the law that is what it says go read it it's not brian young saying this this is the word of god and so when we afflict the soul the day of atonement part of that is for this very reason so that you can please god by living in the spirit you put that flesh that is against the spiritual life against submitting to god's word and you put that down and you, you say, no, I'm not listening to you today. I mean, every time our flesh screams, we, we answer. You're uncomfortable? You adjust. You're thirsty? You grab something to drink. You're hungry? You find something to eat. We live in a country where we don't have to let our flesh you know, uh, be put into submission in any way, shape, or form. I mean, it just... Makes the slightest murmur. And we're ready to to silence it. Not on the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement, it is time to afflict that soul and say no to the flesh, to live in the Spirit. Deny those fleshly desires. So, repentance. And that is a symbol of putting... To death the flesh. Romans 8.13 says this as well in another passage. For if you live according to the flesh, you will live, die. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That is the whole argument right there. Do you live in the flesh or do you live in the spirit? And those people who have problems with Christians obeying the law are the ones who want to keep the law by the flesh, not by the spirit. And yes, if you try to keep the law of God by the flesh, you will die. You cannot do it. You, the flesh cannot submit to God's law, it said in Romans. You have to do it according to the Spirit. Numbers 15, verses 27 through 31 says, If a person sins unintentionally, we do that all the time. Okay? I, and I'm not even just talking about the you slam your thumb in a car door and maybe a bad word could fly out. Oh, I didn't mean to say it. It just, boom, it was there. While that may be unintentional, I think this is even like, you don't even know That you're sinning. I've got all kinds of those in my life. And things that I remember, you know, uh, watching things on TV in high school. And we go back today and we say, oh, that was such a good movie. And we go watch it and it's like, oh my goodness. I cannot believe that I didn't pick up on any of that. Didn't even know I was sinning. It didn't dawn on me. And frankly, I think even there are many things that we could say, I have not kept the Sabbath for years of my life. I didn't even realize that it was displeasing to God that I did not keep the Sabbath. Even though the word said it so clearly, so plainly. And here it says, if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering. So the priest shall make atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When he sins unintentionally before the Lord to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him, you shall have one law for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, you would maybe call that a Jew, and for the stranger who dwells among them. There is one law, and that is it. But this is how atonement was to be made. If you just look at that word atonement, you can even see it's at-one-ment. To be at one with God, there has to be atonement. And let me tell you, you cannot become or get to be one with God through your actions, through keeping the law, through, through anything. Only one thing can make you at one with God, and that is the sacrifice of of atonement. That's what this is talking about. What is that sacrifice of atonement? We'll get to in a moment. I think you already know, but we'll leave those who don't hang there, I guess. So, as I was saying before, Passover was an individual thing. Passover was for each individual and their sins and and the, the family. But for atonement, this is a day for the nation of Israel. When Jesus came, he was our Passover lamb. And each one of you must individually accept that sacrifice of the lamb of God. Individually. Now... When the Day of Atonement comes, this fall festival, we see trumpets, seems to be when the Lord is coming back with his trumpet call, then there will be Judgment Day, the Day of Atonement. And it, yes, you will be judged individually, but the whole nation, the whole world, is going to be judged at that time. And so Jesus is not just the passover sacrifice he's also this sacrifice we'll make that very clear later but another interesting thing in regards to that is that the priests on this day i'll get to a little more of what they did but for now i want you to know that it was a busy day for the priests the people could do no work the priests did all the work passover Hey, you had to prepare for all of your meal. There was a lot of stuff that you were doing at Passover. The Day of Atonement, nothing at all. You were to do no work. The priest did it all. There's a reason for that. And that is because Yeshua, our High Priest, does it all. You can do nothing. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin, Yeshua speaking of him here, to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Christ became sin so that you could be righteous. On the Day of Atonement, we're going to talk about this Later, but there were two goats, and the sins of the people of the whole community were placed on that goat, as the sins of the whole world were placed on Yeshua. This is what it means that he who knew no sin became sin for us. Like I said, we're going to talk about those goats, but not this week, but just for now to, to make that point. Hebrews makes it very clear. This is, as we, when we went through the book of Hebrews, we talked about it. So just to remind you, it is specifically, explicitly talking about the Day of Atonement here in the book of Hebrews. So the book of Hebrews makes no mistake that Yeshua was our Day of Atonement sacrifice. It says, therefore, it was necessary that the copies of the things in heaven, the tabernacle, the temple should be purified with these, these sacrifices, this blood, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these, than than these animals that were day after day after day. For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, in other words, the earthly tabernacle, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, the real tabernacle, Those were just a a foreshadow, a picture of what's up there. Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, you will understand the tabernacle. You will understand because these sacrifices are all pictures of what was supposed to go on in the heavenly realms. Don't make this about the Jew. Make this about the Jew. Jesus. Jesus. Because that is what every one of these sacrificial rules, all of these steps, all of these festivals, these Moedim, it's about Him. When you make these festivals about Jews, you lose the whole point that they're in Scripture. It goes on for... It says... um, now to appear in the presence of God for us, not that he should offer himself often, as the high priest enters the most holy place every year, with the blood of another. Every year. He wasn't talking about the daily sacrifices, but he was specifically talking about the one day of the year that the high priest would go into the most holy place. That was Yom Kippur. And... So now it's saying that Yeshua had to enter the most holy place of heaven with his blood. That's in part why we see in the book of Revelation a lamb who looks like he had been slain. Even in heaven that picture is still there. In verse 26 it continues... He then would have had to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now, once at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Yes, he did it as a Passover, but Hebrews is saying he's also your atonement. He's all of it. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So Jesus fulfilled atonement in the heavenly realms for us. That is what we are to remember on this day. And let me tell you, if you understand what he did for you and that you are the one that deserved to go through that, it's a solemn day of rest. It isn't just to afflict your soul so that you can say, okay, I did that. This is to remember it was your sins that Yeshua bore. When those priests were laying the hands, their hands on these goats, and the sins were being placed on that goat... It was solemn. Once the goat was taken away and the sins were gone out into the wilderness, then it became a celebration. Whoo! Finally, wow! But let me tell you, sin is a serious thing and we need to take it and treat it as a serious thing. I can't remember who it was. I've got it on another presentation, but I love his, his quote, this missionary or this, this this godly man. And he said how... Once he became a Christian, his friends said he was no fun anymore. He was always so serious. And he said sin is serious. People are going to hell and that's a serious thing. He said that Jesus you know, took the sins of the world upon him. That is a serious thing. I have loved ones who are dying that do not know the Lord. That is a serious thing. The time is short. That's a serious thing. And we need to take life seriously rather than taking life as one big party. And let me tell you, we all do it, myself included. We get distracted and this is a day to bring you back to what you should be thinking about. To bring you back and say, it's time to take life seriously. And so the Day of Atonement, from a Jewish perspective, is the last hour. It is the last time you have an opportunity to repent because then Judgment Day is going to come and it is what it is. If you haven't repented, then there is no atonement for you. So, in kind of talking along those lines, the 10 days of awe, backing up 30 days before that, we have what is uh, called the Uh, It starts at Elul, and it's called the time of uh, Teshuvah. Teshuvah simply means repentance. And so you have 40 days from the first of Elul till the day of atonement. They get that because according to Jewish tradition, and I think that you can make a case from this biblically, Um, I wouldn't say that you could be dogmatic about it, but I think biblically you can make a case that this did happen. That it was the third month, the sixth day, that Moses goes up Mount Sinai the first time. The 17th of the fourth month, 40 days later, the tablets are broken when he comes down the mountain. Moses then intercedes for them for 40 days. So that on the first day of the sixth month, Moses goes back up to Mount Sinai the second time. On the tenth day of the seventh month, which would be Yom Kippur, he comes down with the second tablets. So, because it's 40 days from the first day of the sixth month to the tenth day of the seventh, that's where they get these 40 days of teshuva. 40 days of repentance. Because Moses is going back up the mountain. He's coming back down. They've realized they've sinned. They've got to examine themselves. What will God do when Moses comes back? Moses as a Christ figure. What will God do? Remember the parable where it says, what will that... Uh, manager or whatever the tenant do when he comes and he says they'll bring that man to a wretched end it's that picture of judgment that's taking place but anyway biblically they like I said you can't say for sure but Jewish tradition it's taking this the Mount Sinai experience And that's where they get the 40 days of teshuvah. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I love that because remember, Moses is a Christ figure. Moses goes up the mountain after he comes down and he sees that they've been wildly partying, ignoring the commandments of God, the law of God, and in fact, trying to worship God in their own way. Not saying, hey, forget God, but saying, forget Moses. We don't know who he is. We don't know if he's alive, what happened to him. So let's worship God, but let's do it in the way that we're comfortable with, in the way that our culture has brought us up in. Well, when Moses came down, Moses as a Christ figure. He was upset. And God says to him, and we've talked about this before, but to remind you, God says, get away from them. I'm going to wipe them out. And if that would have been me, I'd have been like, thank you finally, Lord, for stepping in and fighting for me because I am sick of these people. All they do is complain. All they do is, is you know, accuse me. But Moses doesn't do that. Moses does what Christ does. He says, no, no, no. Blot me out of the book of life. I'll die for them. And that is exactly what Yeshua did. He says, no, 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 no. I'll die. I'll put the judgment. I will make atonement for them. Take their punishment. So, God demonstrates his own love towards us and that while we were building our golden calves and filled with culture that we just don't want to get rid of, we want to worship God the way we want to, Christ still died for us. Isn't that amazing? His patience, his love for us, much more than having now been justified by his blood... Now that he has made atonement for you, you are now just in God's sight because of Yeshua. We shall be saved from wrath through him. Whew. Good news. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. That means you were atoned for. It says much more Having been reconciled, having that atonement now done for you, we shall be saved by his life. I love this verse because, wait a minute, you're already saved from hell because of his his atoning blood, his sacrifice. So if you're already saved from hell, what are you being saved from in addition to? Because he says, how much more? How much more? You've already been saved from hell, but how much more are you saved? Well, man, that sounds pretty good to me. I didn't think there could be more. But he says, how much more being saved by his life? If his death brought justification, what does his life bring to you? Glory. This is what the law is about. Remember what John says. He... Jesus, even in, in his own prayer, he says, If you remain in me, I will remain in you. Okay, If you remain in me, if you follow me, if you obey my commands, he says, then my joy will be in you and your joy will be complete. Once you're saved and then you start following the one you become a disciple of the one who saved you, now you're saved from hell on earth. Because let me tell you, life sucks. I'm, I'm just going to be honest, it does. Maybe I shouldn't say that word, but it does. This is hell. This is as bad as it ever is going to be for me. When I die, it only gets better. However, to a non-believer, this is their heaven. This is as good. This sucky life that we have here is as good as it's going to be for them. Now, I say it that way to make a point. We should have joy in in an abundant life here. The only reason it's a sucky life here is because... We live in the flesh, not in the spirit. That's when it becomes sucky. You want to be saved from that? How much more will you be saved through his life? It doesn't have to be sucky. We make it that way because we choose to live in the flesh. It's that simple. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. You see, now that we've been reconciled, now that the Day of Atonement, can you see where the celebrations comes in? When you truly understand what He's done for you, and you can afflict your soul and put that flesh into submission then you start to live in the spirit and there is rejoicing that lies ahead. So what goes on in Yom Kippur today? Well we've kind of talked about this but on the 10th day of Tishri Yom Kippur the 10 days of awe or the 10 days of repentance ends. And so they will go to the synagogue on the evening of the ninth. This is just the Jews, what they'll do. They go to the synagogue. Many of them will spend the night in the synagogue. And they have this prayer called the Vidu, which is a confession of sins. One confession for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. I'll give you an, a, an example here in a minute. And they repeat this 10 different times. The reason they do it 10 different times is because... On this day only, the high priest would invoke the name of Yahweh. You you didn't pronounce that name, but on this day, ten times. That name was too holy normally, but now you can invoke the name. By the way, our high priest, my God, my God. Anyway, that's why they say this ten times. So this is kind of the day of atonement. It's t- you know, your, your, your repentance, the 10 days of awe is ending. So now we're going to the synagogue. We're repenting of our sins. Here's the vidu prayer. Uh, we have transgressed. We have betrayed. We have robbed. We have spoken slander. We have acted perversely. We have brought wickedness. We've sinned uh, willfully. We've been violent. You get the idea. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Now, we would probably go and just read this without any emotion. That's kind of usually what we do. It's, you know, a stand up, stand up for Jesus as we sit down or, you know, whatever. That's not what they do. Every one of these prayers, every one of these confessions, they meditate upon it. And they beat their breasts oftentimes. They'll, they'll, they'll beat their body a little bit. Not with whips and whatnot, but just, just a physical a uh, manifestation of the, the sins it's kinda like at the Wailing Wall when you go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem you'll see the Jews are just standing there rocking back and forth because they believe that while you're in the presence of God that every joint every muscle should be in movement you should not be at rest in the presence of God that way and so that's why they're, they're always moving when they're saying their prayers they, they, their joints and everything they just got to be moving. Okay, very animated. I'm not saying you have to do that. I'm just saying that's what they do. So, anyway, this uh, vidu, it, it has two different parts to it. Um, the ashamanu, which is basically we have been guilty, is one part of it, and then it's followed by the alchet, which is for the sin. We have been guilty. Or the sin. And of whatever. So that's kind of how they do it. But like I said, they take this seriously. This isn't just a rote prayer like we have become accustomed to in many churches. Where we go and just say it. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with the Lord's Prayer. I think it's awesome. But I think oftentimes it can become such a rote thing that we say it and we don't even think about what the words are. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. You know, And you're thinking about where you're going after church. That's not what's going on here. This is not your typical rote prayer. This is heartfelt. This is meditation upon their life. This is life and death to them. When they don't know Yeshua, their sacrificial atonement offering... Right now, you need to understand rabbinical Judaism is a works righteous, heretical religion. And all they have, I mean, this is salvation to them. That's how solemn and serious this can be. Even atheist Jews oftentimes will go to synagogue on this day because. Their culture, just like our culture has affected us so deeply, their culture sometimes, it's so deeply ingrained that it's kind of, well, just in case, I better not do it. I was listening to one of the uh, One for Israel guys, and he was talking about his brother. His brother, growing up, was, you know, they grew up with this stuff. Now he's not following Judaism or anything. But on this day, you're supposed to do no work. He'll watch TV without sound just to afflict his soul a little bit. Okay? So, it is so deeply ingrained in their, in their minds and in their hearts that even though they're atheists, this is a solemn day and they know. It's in there. Now, I always say I don't believe there is such thing as an atheist because an atheist says there is no God and they'd have to be the most arrogant Person in the world to be able to admit that they're an atheist because you have to know everything to be an atheist. You know, we always, Ray Comfort's great about that. Do you know all there is to know in the entire universe? All the information that's out there, do you have it all? Well, no. How about 95% of it? No. 90%? No. 50%? No. 10%. Some hilariously will say yes. 10%. So that means out of the 90% of the information that's out there that you don't have, could there be evidence that God exists? Well, So see, you're not an atheist then. You're an agnostic. You don't know if God exists. But to say God doesn't exist says you have to have 100% of all the knowledge that's out there. You can't be an atheist. Deep down... And when we would go out and evangelize on the streets, let me tell you, deep down, I don't care if it was the, the demonic-possessed Travis to, to a, uh, you know just a, a partying, wild, rebellious child. They all knew God existed. There was a conscience that was in them. And most often, that conscience... Was seared by some kind of righteous act that they thought that they would do. Well, I pray at night. Don't go to church, cuss and swear, drinking, having sex, but I pray at night. They thought there was some little thing that they could do. Remember? Day of Atonement, you didn't do anything. The high priest did every bit of it. Are you going to explain quickly that even possessed this Not tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, just another, that's another night. So, that is what they do. Um, Everything closes down in Israel for Yom Kippur. Or if you're in one of their little ghettos, it all closes down. Uh, The children get to ride their bikes out on the streets. So, apparently they don't need to afflict their souls. They love it. They, because the streets are shut down, the kids are allowed to ride their bikes down the middle of the streets. They all get to just ride their bikes all over the place. And so, this is now the only day that a previously barred person, uh, barred from the synagogue, is welcome back in. If there's repentance. If they desire that forgiveness. And so, Kind of like what I was saying before, it is the last hour. So, sundown on the 9th, they start with the kol nidre, which simply means all vows, and they'll sing some sorrowful melody songs that ask for forgiveness, usually scripturally based. Um, The shofar is blown And that gathers the people to the synagogue and then they all wear white. This is the day where white is worn because white is a symbol of purity. Your sins have been atoned for. If you desired, you were repentant, you could be welcomed back, your sins would be atoned for, you get to wear white. Again, they're missing the most important part, and that is the only part that works to make you white, to wash your clothes in the blood of the lamb. They don't know that. And it just breaks my heart to see the Jews today, even like when we go to Israel and we go to the um, Temple Institute, they've got all of the things ready they've got their menorah, they've got all of the pieces ready for the temple to be built and to throw it in there again. And when I ask them, listen, since you can't make these sacrifices now today, how are you saved? And their answer is through prayer and the giving of alms and righteous living. It is a works-based heretical Religion right now. They had to do that when the temple was gone. You couldn't make sacrifices, but they don't know that Yeshua was that sacrifice. He's what makes us white. Anyway, um, the evening ends with a shofar blow. They go back to their home, and then they will, after this, then construct their sukkah, which is that canopy that we will have for the festival of Sukkot. And then Sukkot. They're getting ready for Sukkot to celebrate that. The feast of tabernacles. Because just like what we see. That the trumpets. The Lord's coming back. Day of atonement is judgment day. Tabernacles. You get to live with God. That's the, the picture that is seen here. Now I want to show you a little bit more. More of Yeshua in this sacrifice. Romans 3.25, God presented him, Yeshua, as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. Through faith, through the belief in the promise, not through works. Hebrews 9.11, but Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. See, he was not just the sacrifice, he was the high priest. Everything, and I'm going to speak about this at Sukkot, but I'm going to talk about the tabernacle. Everything in the tabernacle was Jesus. Everything. He's the high priest, he's the sacrifice, he's the altar of incense, he's the brazen altar, he's the curtain, he is the fence post, he is the ties. he is every single bit of the tabernacle. You remember that when Jesus died, and by the way, the New Testament tells you that that curtain was his flesh, his body, broken for you. When Jesus died, that huge curtain that separated the holy place to the most holy place was torn in two. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how thick it is, but the, the Jewish records, the Talmud says it was so thick that uh, two, two or four pairs of oxen couldn't tear it apart. This, w- this was a very significant thing. A priest couldn't have just snagged it and, whoa, <laughs> ripped. This was a miracle. And what was happening is, is when that sacrifice of atonement was made you see in the Old Testament had you needed to you know, let's say that you went and um, cheated on your spouse or I don't know, you you sinned. Some sin and you went to the priest and you confessed your sin and said I'm sorry the priest would take in that sacrificial animal. He would make that sacrifice for you. If that was accepted and God says I forgive you and you are so overwhelmed with gratitude that you run in to the most holy place, grab onto the altar and just say thank you God, thank you, thank you, thank you. What would have happened? You'd have been dead. Only the high priest could enter the most holy place and even then only once a year. But when Jesus, our high priest, sprinkled his blood in the heavenly one, that curtain was torn, allowing access into the most holy place. Because now, when we say your sins have been atoned for, you are now at one with God, we can run into the most holy place and say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And you have life and you have it abundantly. Christ being the sacrifice of atonement, I'm not smart enough to give you words to tell you how important and amazing and and wonderful this is. I just don't have the brain power to do it. But I hope that by the Spirit, it makes sense to you. Colossians 2.16 says, So let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbaths can't tell you how many people have told me that this means, see, you don't do these things anymore. I don't understand because that's not... What I hear it saying is you're not supposed to judge me because I'm going to do it. As a matter of fact, it says that these are a shadow of things to come. Did it say these were a shadow? No, are a shadow. That means... Passover, First Fruits, Shavuot, Yom Kippur, Yom Teruah, Sukkot. They are still a shadow of things to come because we're not there yet. The substance is of Christ. This is all about Him. And if you want to know Christ more, then start digging into these things. Because... Let me tell you, it's about him. And when the church keeps telling you, nope, nope, he, he's done with that. Jesus came and, and it's over. It, it makes me sad because I know what they're missing. A couple more things. Leviticus 16, I want you to see this. Thus Aaron shall come on this day, the Uh, Day of Atonement, into the holy place with the blood of a young bull as a sin offering and of a ram as a burnt offering. He shall put the holy linen tunic and the linen trousers on his body. He shall be girded with a linen sash and with a linen turban. He shall be attired. These are the holy garments. Therefore, he shall wash his body in water and put them on. On this day, he would go only on this day. Did he dress this way? Normally, he was dressed in all this colorful garb. Had eight different pieces of clothing on. But this time, four. All in white. Here on the left, that was your day-to-day outfit. On the right, Day of Atonement. This is why they wear white when they go to their synagogue. You took off that beautiful, glorious garment and you put on this robe of purity, and that was it. Let me read for you Philippians. It says, He, Jesus, humbled himself and took the form of a man. Jesus humbled himself. By stepping out of the heavenly realms, taking that glory and taking upon flesh. Simple, but pure. Him only. When the Day of Atonement was done, this is the last time those garments were to be worn. As a matter of fact... The priests would take these garments and put them in storage. Those were oftentimes then used to light the candle, which we'll talk about at Sukkot, for it to be the light of the world. Jesus was wrapped in linen. We also see, though, at the cross that... Remember, they cast lots for his clothing. Because it was all of one piece. We talk about this at Passover. But it's also fitting because he was also our atonement sacrifice. In Deuteronomy it says that the high priest was not allowed to rend his garment. If he did he would become unclean. Because of that the neck area it was sewn. If you rent your garments, you became unclean. It wasn't like it was a sin, but you were unclean and unfit for service. Do you remember when Caiaphas has Jesus standing before him and he thinks that Jesus is blaspheming? He tears his garment and says, blasphemy. I can tell you something. Caiaphas did not make the Passover offering that year. The next guy in line did. The law would not have allowed Caiaphas to do that. Now, I can tell you who made the ultimate offering, though the ultimate high priest Yeshua, Jesus, whose garment was not rent. By divine providence, they cast lots for his clothing, the priestly garments, white linen, was not torn, and he hung on that cross and pronounced the Negmar, the blessing that is the high priest say all the time. It is finished. And the high priest would do that, raise their hands to heaven. It is finished. And here is Jesus, our high priest, making that sacrifice, doing that. The timing, everything. I mean, we can make a whole message just on that alone. The timing, uh, the words, uh, the, the clothing, every single bit of it. Probably even where the blood goes down. In the Old Testament, the blood on your ear and your right toe. I can almost guarantee you that that crown of thorns had blood going down his earlobe as it went down his legs, probably down dripping off of his big toe. I mean, everything. Jesus, again, the substance is of Christ. Revelation 3.17, as I talked about last week, when you read the book of Revelation, I don't want you so focused on what the seven-year period is all the time as much as, hey, you've got seven tabernacles, seven days of atonement, seven Passovers. You've got a lot of festivals. These festivals are all throughout the book of Revelation. Because you say, I am rich. He will become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed. When do you think you might get your white garments? The Day of Atonement. The wedding banquet of the Lamb. They're associated together. Revelation 19.8, and to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, and the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So, the white clothes are representative of obedience to God's word. Obedience to the law. Again, your obedience doesn't save you. But it does re- you're rewarded for that. These clothes, when they wear white on the day of atonement, it is a picture of readiness. It is a picture of at-one-ment with God. It is a picture of righteousness. Not yours, but the one that the high priest did for you. And that's what you need to remember. Mark 9.2, and I'll close on this. After six days... Jesus took Peter, James, John with him and led him up a high mountain where they were all alone, and there he was transfigured before them. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. I don't think it's an accident that just before Jesus makes atonement for us, he put on white clothing. Just before atonement was made in the tabernacle, and in the temple, the high priest put on white clothing. Then he went in to make atonement. Jesus even tells his disciples, he says, don't tell anybody about this until after the crucifixion, after atonement was made. So the same sequence is seen that Jesus wears white garments before making atonement. I don't think that's an accident. Okay? right. I'm going to call that good for here. When we pick up next, we're going to get back to the two goats. And we're going to get, I love the two goats. And how this Day of Atonement, the sacrifice that was made, and how Yeshua is going to tie into that so perfectly. And so, not next week, but the week after is when we will pick up with that. So, we'll close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just are so grateful for atonement. God, I pray that as we prepare for this that we would have a, a solemn mindset. Again, Lord, let these not just be words, but let it be life to us, let it be reality that we would realize and just examine our lives and all the things that we keep chasing after in this world that we would not keep chasing after them if it is not for you. That we would just ask ourselves, what? why do we keep feeding this flesh? Why do we keep working for things that do not last, That things that moth and rust will destroy? Why do we not seek first the kingdom of God? So that all of these things will be added unto us in the appropriate time. That we will be able to be rewarded and wear the white linen that you have prepared for us. God, just open our eyes to see these things. Words, just it's it's empty. Knowledge without application and understanding is just knowledge. It's pointless. Let us not be a sounding gong. But let us, in love for you, just examine ourselves and repent. And may we live by the Spirit so that we might have joy and be able to rejoice in the work that has been done through Yeshua. In the name of Yeshua we pray, amen.